This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Chapter 8 Eliza's Escape. Eliza made her desperate retreat across the river just in the dusk of twilight. The gray mist of evening, rising slowly from the river, enveloped her as she disappeared up the bank, and the swollen current and floundering masses of ice presented a hopeless barrier between her and her pursuer. Haley therefore slowly and discontentedly returned to the little tavern, to ponder further what was to be done. The woman opened to him the door of a little parlour, covered with a rag carpet, where stood a table with a very shining black oilcloth, sundry lank, high-backed wood chairs, with some plaster images in resplendent colours on the mantel-shelf, above a very dimly smoking grate. A long hardwood settle extended its uneasy length by the chimney, and here Haley sat him down to meditate on the instability of human hopes and happiness in general. "'What did I want with a little cuss now?' he said to himself that I should have got myself treat like a coon as I am this here way." And Haley relieved himself by repeating over a not very select litany of imprecations on himself, which, though there was the best possible reason to consider them as true, we shall, as a matter of taste, omit. He was startled by the loud and dissonant voice of a man who was apparently dismounting at the door. He hurried to the window. "'By the land!' "'If this hour ain't the nearest now to what I've heard folks call Providence,' said Haley, "'I do believe that thar's Tom Locker!' Haley hastened out. Standing by the bar in the corner of the room was a brawny, muscular man, full six feet in height and broad in proportion. He was dressed in a coat of buffalo skin, made with the hair outward, which gave him a shaggy and fierce appearance, perfectly in keeping with the whole air of his physiognomy. In the head and face every organ and lineament expressive of brutal and unhesitating violence was in a state of the highest possible development. Indeed, could our readers fancy a bulldog come onto a man's estate and walking about in a hat and coat, they would have no unapt idea of the general style and effect of his physique. He was accompanied by a travelling companion, in many respects an exact contrast to himself. He was short and slender lithe and cat-like in his motions, and had a peering, mousing expression about his keen black eyes, with which every feature of his face seemed sharpened into sympathy. His thin, long nose ran out as if it was eager to bore into the nature of things in general. His sleek, thin black hair was stuck eagerly forward, and all his motions and evolutions expressed a dry, cautious acuteness. The great man poured out a big tumbler half full of raw spirits and gulped it down without a word. The little man stood tiptoe, and putting his head first to one side and then the other, and snuffing considerably in the direction of the various bottles, ordered at last a mint julep, in a thin and quivering voice, and with an air of great circumspection. When poured out he took it and looked at it with a sharp, complacent air, like a man who thinks he has done about the right thing and hit the nail on the head, and proceeded to dispose of it in short and well-advised sips. "'Well, now, who'd a thought this yar luck had come to me? Why, Lucker, how are you?' said Haley, coming forward and extending his hand to the big man. "'The devil!' was the civil reply. "'What brought you here, Haley?' The mousing man, who bore the name of Marks, instantly stopped his sipping, and, poking his head forward, 
looked shrewdly on the new acquaintance, as a cat sometimes looks at a moving dry leaf or some other possible object of pursuit. "'I say, Tom, this air is the luckiest thing in the world. I'm in a devil of a hobble, and you must help me out.' Eh? Ah, like enough,' grunted his complacent acquaintance. "'A body may be pretty sure of that when you're glad to see him. Something to be made off of him. Uh, what's the blow now?' Uh, "'You've got a friend here,' said Haley, looking doubtfully at Marks. "'Partner, perhaps?' "'Yes, I have. Here, Marks. Here's that our fellow that I was in with in Natchez.' "'Shall be pleased with his acquaintance,' said Marks, thrusting out a long, thin hand like a raven's claw. "'Mr. Haley, I believe?' "'The same, sir,' said Haley. "'And now, gentlemen, seen as we've met so happily, I think I'll stand up to a small matter of a treat in this here parlor.' "'So now, old coon,' said he to the man at the bar, "'get us hot water and sugar and cigars, and plenty of the real stuff, and we'll have a blow-out.' Behold, then, the candles lighted, the fire stimulated to the burning point in the grate, and our three worthies seated round a table, well spread with all the accessories to good fellowship enumerated before. Haley began a pathetic recital of his peculiar troubles. Locker shut up his mouth and listened to him with gruff and surly attention. Marks, who was anxiously and with much fidgeting compounding a tumbler of punch to his own peculiar taste, occasionally looked up from his employment, and, poking his sharp nose and chin almost into Haley's face, gave the most earnest heed to the whole narrative. The conclusion of it appeared to amuse him extremely, for he shook his shoulders and sides in silence, and perked up his thin lips with an air of great internal enjoyment. "'So, then, you're fairly sewed up, ain't you?' he said. <laughs> "'It's neatly done, too.' "'This yar young'un business makes lots of troubles in the trade,' said Haley dolefully. "'If we could get a breed of gals that didn't care now for their young'uns,' said Marks, and tell you, I think it would be about the greatest modern improvement I knows on.' And Marks patronized his joke by a quiet introductory sniggle. "'Just so,' said Haley. "'I never couldn't see into it. The young'uns is heaps of trouble to em. One would think now they'd be glad to get clar on them, but they aren't. And the more trouble a young'un is, and the more good-for-nothing as gentle thing, the tighter they sticks to him. "'Well, Mr. Haley,' said Marks, "'let's pass the hot water. Yes, sir, you say as uh, what I feel that I'll have. Now, I bought a gal once, when I was in the trade. A tight, likely wench she was, too, and quite considerable but smart. And she had a young un that was miserable sickly. It had a crooked back, or something or other. And I just gint away to a man that thought he'd take his chance raisin' on't, being it didn't cost nothing. Never thought, you know, of the gals taking on about it, but, lor, you ought to see how she went on. Why, really, she did seem to me to valley the child more cause twas sickly and cross and plagued her, and she weren't making believe, neither. Cried about it, she did, and loped around, as if she'd lost every friend she had. It really was droll to think, Aunt. Lord, there ain't no end to women's notions. Well, just so with me, said Haley. Last summer, down on Red River, I got a gal traded off on me, with a likely-looking child enough, and his eyes looked as bright as yourn. But come to look, I found him stone-blind. Fact, he was stone-blind. Well, you see, I thought there weren't no harm in my just passing him along, and not saying nothing. And I'd got him nicely swapped off for a keg of whiskey. But come to get him away from the gal, she was just like a tiger. So, twas before we started, and I hadn't got my gang chained up. So what should she do but ups on a cotton bale like a cat, 
catches a knife from one of the deck-hands, and I tell you, she made all fly for a minute, till she saw twas no use, and she just turns round and pitches head first, young and all, into the river. Went down, plump, never rise. Bah! said Tom Locker, who had listened to these stories with ill-repressed disgust. Shiftless, both on you. My gals don't cut on no such shines, I tell you. Indeed, how do you help it? said Marks briskly. Help it? Why, I buys a gal, and if she's got a young'un to be sold, I just walks up and puts my fist to her face and says, Look here now, if you give me one word out of your head, I'll smash your face in. I won't hear one word, not the beginning of a word, I says to him. This yer young'un's mine, and not yourn, and you've no kind of business with it. I'm going to sell it first chance. Mind you don't cut up none of your shines about it, or I'll make you wish you'd never been born. I tell you, they sees it ain't no play when I gets hold. I makes em as wet as fishes, and if one on em begins and gives a yelp, why— And Mr. Locker brought down his fist with a thump that fully explained the hiatus. That ar's what you may call emphasis, said Marks, poking Haley in the side, and going into another small giggle. Ain't Tom peculiar? <laughs> I say, Tom, I spect you make em understand, for all niggers' heads is woolly. They don't never have no doubt o' your meanin', Tom. If you ain't the devil, Tom, use his twin brother, I'll say that for you. Tom received the compliment with becoming modesty, and began to look as affable as was consistent, as John Bunyan says, with his doggish nature. Haley, who had been imbibing very freely of the staple of the evening, began to feel a sensible elevation and enlargement of his moral faculties, a phenomenon not unusual with gentlemen of the serious and reflective turn under similar circumstances. "'Well, now, Tom,' he said, "'you really is too bad, as I always have told you. You know, Tom, you and I used to talk over these yar matters down Natchez, and I used to prove to you that we made full as much and was as well off for this yar world by treatin' on em well, besides keepin' a better chance for comin' in the kingdom at last, when worse comes to worst, and there ain't nothin' else left to get, you know.' "'Bah!' said Tom. "'Don't I know?' Don't make me too sick with any yar stuff. My stomach is a little riled now." And Tom drank half a glass of raw brandy. "'I say,' said Haley, and leaning back in his chair and gesturing impressively, "'I'll say this now. I always meant to drive my trade so as to make money on't fust and foremost as much as any man. But then trade ain't everything, and money ain't everything, cause we's all got souls. I don't care now who hears me say it and I think a cussed sight on it, so I may as well come out with it. I believe in religion, and one of these days, when I got matters tight and snug, I calculates to tend to my soul in them our matters. And so what's the use of doing any more wickedness than's really necessary? Don't seem to me it's all prudent." "'Tend to your soul,' repeated Tom contemptuously. "'Take a bright look-out to find a soul in you. Save yourself any care on that score. If the devil sifts you through a hair sieve, he won't find one. "'Why, Tom, you're cross,' said Haley. "'Why can't you take it pleasant now, when a feller's talkin' for your good?' "'Stop that our jaw yearn there,' said Tom gruffly. "'I can stand most any talkin' yearn but your pious talk. That kills me right up. After all, what's the odds between me and you? Tant that you care one bit more, or have a bit more feelin', it's clean, sheer dog-meanness wantin' to cheat the devil and save your own skin. Don't I see through it? 
and your getting religion, as you call it, after all, is too pison mean for any creator. Run up a bill with the devil all your life, and then sneak out when pay-time comes. Bob! Come, come, gentlemen, I say, this isn't business, said Marks. There's different ways, you know, of looking at all subjects. Mr. Haley is a very nice man, no doubt, and has his own conscience. And, Tom, you have your ways, and very good ones, too, Tom. But quarreling, you know, won't answer no kind of purpose. Let's go to business. Now, Mr. Haley, what is it? You want us to undertake to catch this yar gal? The gal's no matter mine. She's Shelby's. It's only the boy. And I was a fool for buying the monkey. You're generally a fool, said Tom gruffly. Come now, Locker. None of your huffs, said Marks, licking his lips. You see, Mr. Haley's putting us in a way of a good job, I reckon. Just hold still. These yer arrangements is my forte. This yer gal, Mr. Haley, how is she? What is she? Well, white and handsome, well brought up. I, Jin Shelby, eight hundred or a thousand, and then made well on her. White and handsome, well brought up, said Marks, his sharp eyes, nose, and mouth, all alive with enterprise. Look here now, Locker, a beautiful opening. We'll do a business here on our own account. We does the catchin'. The boy, of course, goes to Mr. Haley. We takes the gal to Orleans to speculate on. Ain't it beautiful? Tom, whose great heavy mouth had stood ajar during this communication, now suddenly snapped it together as a big dog closes on a piece of meat, and seemed to be digesting the idea at his leisure. You see, said Marks to Haley, stirring his punch as he did so, you see, we has justices convenient at all pants along shore. That does up any little jobs in our line quite reasonable. Tom, he does the knockin' down, and that are, and I come in all dressed up, shinin' boots. Everything first chop, when the swearin's to be done. You ought to see now, said Marks, in a glow of professional pride, how I can tone it off. One day I'm Mr. Twickham from New Orleans. Another day I'm just come from my plantation on Pearl River, where I work seven hundred niggers. Then again I come out a distant relation of Henry Clay, or some old cock in Kentuck. Talents is different, you know. Now, Tom's roar when there's any thumpin' or fightin' to be done, but at line he ain't good, Tom ain't. You see, it, it don't come natural to him. But, Lord, if thar's a feller in the country that can swear to anything and everything, and put in all the circumstances, and flourishes with a long face, and carrot through better than I can, why, I'd like to see him, that's all. I believe in my heart I could get along and snake through even if justices were more particular than they is. Sometimes I rather wish they was more particular. It would be a heap more relishin' if they was. More fun, you know." Tom Locker, who, as we have made it appear, was a man of slow thoughts and movements, here interrupted Marks by bringing his heavy fist down on the table, so as to make it all ring again. "'It'll do,' he said. "'Lord bless you, Tom. You needn't break all the glasses,' said Marks. "'Save your fist for the time of need.' "'But, gentlemen, ain't I to come in for a share of the profits?' said Haley. "'Ain't it enough we catch the boy for you?' said Locker. "'What do you want?' "'Well,' said Haley, "'if I gives you the job it's worth something, say, ten percent on the profits, expenses paid?' "'Now,' said Locker, with a tremendous oath, and striking the table with his heavy fist, "'don't I know you, Dan Haley?' Don't you think to come it over me? Suppose Marks and I have taken up the catchin' trade, just to accommodate gentlemen like you, and get nothin' for ourselves. Not by a long chalk. We'll have the gal out and out, and you keep quiet, or you see we'll have both. What's to hinder? Hadn't you showed us the game? It's as free to us as you, I hope. 
If you or Shelby wants to catch us, look where the partridges was last year. If you find them or us, you're quite welcome." "'Oh, well, certainly. Just let it go at that,' said Haley, alarmed. "'You catch the boy for the job. You allers did trade far with me, Tom, and was up to your word.' "'You know that,' said Tom. "'I don't pretend none of your snivelling ways, but I won't lie in my accounts with the devil himself. What I says I'll do, I will do. You know that, Dan Haley.' "'Just so, just so. I said so, Tom,' said Haley. "'And if you'd only promise to have the boy for me in a week, at any point you'll name, that's all I want.' "'But it ain't all I want, by a long jump,' said Tom. "'You don't think I did business with you down Natchez for nothing, Haley. I've learned to hold an eel when I catch him. You've got to fork over fifty dollars flat down, or this child don't start a peg. I know you're.' Why, when you have a job in hand that may bring a clean profit of somewhere about a thousand or sixteen hundred, why, Tom, you're on unreasonable, said Haley. Yes, and hasn't we business booked for five weeks to come, all we can do? And suppose we leaves all, and goes to bushwhacking round out of your young'uns, and finally doesn't catch the gal, and gal's allers is the devil to catch. What's then? Would you pay us a cent, would you? I think I see you doing it, Hug. <laughs> no, no, flap down your fifty. If we get the job and it pays, I'll hand it back. If we don't, it's for our trouble. That's fire, ain't it, Marks? Certainly, certainly, said Marks, with a conciliatory tone. It's only a retaining fee, you see. <laughs> we lawyers, you know. Well, we must all keep good-natured. Keep easy, you know. Tom'll have the boy for you, anywhere you'll name. Won't you, Tom? If I find the young'un, I'll bring him on to Cincinnati and leave him at Granny Belcher's on the landing," said Locker. Marks had got from his pocket a greasy pocket-book, and taking a long paper from thence he sat down, and fixing his keen black eyes on it, began mumbling over its contents. Barnes, Shelby County, boy, Jim, three hundred dollars for him, dead or alive. Edwards, Dick and Lucy, man and wife, six hundred dollars, wench Polly, and two children, six hundred for her or her head. I'm just running over our business to see if we can take up this yarl handily. Locker, he said, after a pause, we must set Adams and Springer on the track of these are. They've been booked some time. They'll charge too much, said Tom. I'll manage that are. They's young in the business, and must spec to work cheap, said Marks, as he continued to read. There's three on em easy cases, cause all you got to do is to shoot em or swear they shot. They couldn't, of course, charge much for that. Them other cases, he said, folding the paper, will bear puttin' off a spell. So now let's come to the particulars. Now, Mr. Haley, you saw this our gal when she landed? To be sure, plain as I see you. And a man helpin' on her up the bank, said Locker. To be sure I did. Most likely, said Marks. She's took in somewhere. But uh, where's a question? Tom, what do you say? We must cross the river to-night, no mistake," said Tom. But there's no boat about," said Marks. The ice is running awfully, Tom. Ain't it dangerous? Don't know nothing about that. Only it's got to be done," said Tom decidedly. Dear me," said Marks, fidgeting. It'll be, I say," he said, walking to the window. It's dark as a wolf's mouth, and Tom, the long and short is you're scared, Marks. But I can't help that. You've got to go. Suppose you want to lie by a day or two till the gal's been carried on the underground line up to Sandusky or so, before you start. Oh, no, I ain't a grain frayed, said Marks. Only— Only what? said Tom. 
Well, about the boat. You see, there ain't any boat. I heard the woman say there was one coming along this evening, and that a man was going to cross over in it. Neck or nothing, we must go with him, said Tom. I suppose you got good dogs, said Haley. First rate, said Marks. But what's the use? You ain't got nothing of hers to smell on. Yes, I have, said Haley triumphantly. Here's her shawl she left on the bed in a hurry. She left her bonnet, too. That ours lucky, said Locker. Fork over. Though the dogs might damage the gal if they come on her unwires, said Haley. That ours a consideration, said Marks. Our dogs tore a feller half to pieces once down in Mobile before we could get him off. Well, you see, for this sort that's to be sold for their looks, uh, that I won't answer, you see, said Haley. I do see, said Marks. Besides, if she's got took in, tain't no go neither. Dogs is no account in these are up states where these critters get carried. Of course, you can't get on their track. They only does down in plantations where niggers, when they runs, has to do their own running and don't get no help. Well, said Locker, who had just stepped out to the bar to make some inquiries, they say the man's come with the boat. So, Marks. That worthy cast a rueful look at the comfortable quarters he was leaving, but slowly rose to obey. After exchanging a few words of further arrangement, Haley, with visible reluctance, handed over the fifty dollars to Tom, and the worthy trio separated for the night. If any of our refined and Christian readers object to the society into which this scene introduces them, let us beg them to begin and conquer their prejudices in time. The catching business, we beg to remind them, is rising to the dignity of a lawful and patriotic profession. If all the broad land between Mississippi and the Pacific becomes one great market for bodies and souls, and human property retains the locomotive tendencies of this nineteenth century, the trader and catcher may yet be among our aristocracy. While this scene was going on at the tavern, Sam and Andy, in a state of high felicitation, pursued their way home. Sam was in the highest possible feather and expressed his exultation by all sorts of supernatural howls and ejaculations, by divers odd motions and contortions of his whole system. Sometimes he would sit backward, with his face to the horse's tail and sides, and then, with a whoop and a somerset, come right side up in his place again, and, drawing on a grave face, begin to lecture Andy in high-sounding tones for laughing and playing the fool. Anon, slapping his sides with his arms, he would burst forth in peals of laughter that made the old woods ring as they passed. With all these evolutions he contrived to keep the horses up to the top of their speed until, between ten and eleven, their heels resounded on the gravel at the end of the balcony. Mrs. Shelby flew to the railings. "'Is that you, Sam? Where are they?' "'Master Haley's arrestin' at the tavern. He's dreffle fatigued, Mrs.' "'And Eliza, Sam?' "'Well, she's clear across Jordan.' as a body may say, in the land of Canaan." "'Why, Sam, what do you mean?' said Mrs. Shelby, breathless, and almost faint, as the possible meaning of these words came over her. "'Wow, Missus, the Lord, he preserves his own. Lizzie's done gone over the river into Ohio, as markably as if the Lord took her over in a chariot of fire and two hosses.' Sam's vein of piety was always uncommonly fervent in his mistress's presence, and he made great capital of scriptural figures and images. "'Come up here, Sam,' said Mr. Shelby, who had followed on to the veranda, "'and tell your mistress what she wants.' "'Come, come, Emily,' said he, passing his arm round her. "'You were cold and all in a shiver. You allow yourself to feel too much.' "'Feel too much? 
Am I not a woman, a mother? Are we not both responsible to God for this poor girl? My God! Lay not this sin to our charge. What sin, Emily? You see yourself that we have only done what we were obliged to. There's an awful feeling of guilt about it, though, said Mrs. Shelby. I can't reason it away. Here, Andy, you nigger, be alive, called Sam under the veranda. Take these yar horses to der barn. Don't you hear Massa callin'? And Sam soon appeared, palm-leaf in hand, at the parlor door. Now, Sam, tell us distinctly how the matter was, said Mr. Shelby. Where is Eliza, if you know? Well, Massa, I saw her with my own eyes, a crossin' on the floatin' ice. She crossed most markably. It wasn't no less nor miracle. And I saw a man help her up on the high side, and then she was lost in the dusk. Sam, I think this rather apocryphal, this miracle. Crossing on floating ice isn't so easily done, said Mr. Shelby. Easy! Couldn't nobody done it without the Lord, why, now, said Sam. "'Twas just this your way. Massa Haley and me and Andy, we comes up to the little tavern by the river, and I rides a leetle ahead. I was so zealous to be cotchin' Lizzie that I couldn't hold in no way. And when I comes by the tavern winder, sure enough there she was, right in plain sight, and they diggin' on behind, while I loses off my head and I sings out enough to raise the dead. Of course Lizzie she hires, and she dodges back, when Massa Haley ye gone past the door, and then— I tell you, she clared out the side door. She went down to the river bank. Massa Haley, he seed her, and yelled out, and him and me and Andy, we took arter. Down she come to the river, and thar was the current running ten feet wide by the shore, and over t'other side a ice a-sawin' and a-jigglin' up and down, kinder as t'were a great island. We come right behind her, and I thought my soul he'd got her sure enough. When she gin such a screech as I never hearn, and thar she was, clar on to the other side of the current, on the ice, and then on she went, a-screechin' and a-jumpin', the ice went crack, swallop, crackin', chunk, and she a-boundin' like a buck. Lord, the spring that our gals got in there ain't common, I'm opinion. Mrs. Shelby sat perfectly still, pale with excitement, while Sam told his story. "'God be praised, she isn't dead,' she said. "'But where is the poor child now?' "'The Lord will provide,' said Sam, rolling up his eyes piously. As I've been a sayin', this year is a providence, and no mistake, as Missus has allers been a instructin' on us. There's allers instruments rise up to de Lord's will. Now, if tadn't been for me to-day, she'd have been took a dozen times. Warn't it I started off to horses dis year mornin', and, and kept em chasin' till nigh dinner-time? And didn't I car Massa Haley night five miles out at the road dis evenin'? or else he'd a come up a Lizzie as easy as a dog out of coon. These yars all providences. They are a kind of providences that you'll have to be pretty sparing of, Master Sam. I allow no such practices with gentlemen on my place," said Mr. Shelby, with as much sternness as he could command under the circumstances. Now, there is no more use in making believe be angry with a negro than with a child. Both instinctively see the true state of the case through all attempts to effect the contrary. And Sam was in no wise disheartened by this rebuke, though he assumed an air of doleful gravity, and stood with the corners of his mouth lowered in most penitential style. "'Mass is quite right, quite. It was ugly on me. There's no disputin' that are. And, of course, Master and Missus wouldn't encourage no such works. I'm sensible of that are. 
but a poor nigger like me's mazin' tempted to act ugly sometimes, when fellers will cut up such shines as dat ar Massa Haley. He ain't no gentleman no way. Anybody's been raised as I've been can't help seeing dat ar. Well, Sam, said Mrs. Shelby, as you appear to have a proper sense of your errors, you may go now and tell Aunt Chloe she may get you some of that cold ham that was left of dinner to-day. You and Andy must be hungry. Mrs. is a heap too good for us, said Sam, making his bow with alacrity and departing. It will be perceived, as has been before intimated, that Master Sam had a native talent that might undoubtedly have raised him to eminence in political life, a talent of making capital out of everything that turned up, to be invested for his own especial praise and glory and having done up his piety and humility as he trusted to the satisfaction of the parlour he clapped his palm-leaf on his head with a sort of rakish free and easy air and proceeded to the dominions of aunt chloe with the intention of flourishing largely in the kitchen i'll speechify these yar niggers said sam to himself now i've got a chance lord i'll reel it off to make em stare it must be observed that one of Sam's especial delights had been to ride in attendance on his master to all kinds of political gatherings, where, roosted on some rail-fence, or perched aloft in some tree, he would sit watching the orators with the greatest apparent gusto, and then, descending among the various brethren of his own color, assembled on the same errand, he would edify and delight them with the most ludicrous burlesques and imitations, all delivered with the most imperturbable earnestness and solemnity and though the auditors immediately about him were generally of his own color, it not infrequently happened that they were fringed pretty deeply with those of a fairer complexion, who listened, laughing and winking, to Sam's great self-congratulation. In fact, Sam considered oratory as his vocation, and never let slip an opportunity of magnifying his office. Now, between Sam and Aunt Chloe there had existed, from ancient times, a sort of chronic feud, or rather a decided coolness. But, as Sam was meditating something in the provision department, as the necessary and obvious foundation of his operations, he determined, on the present occasion, to be eminently conciliatory, for he well knew that although Mrs. Orders would undoubtedly be followed to the letter, yet he should gain a considerable deal by enlisting the spirit also. He therefore appeared before Aunt Chloe with a touchingly subdued, resigned expression, like one who has suffered immeasurable hardships in behalf of a persecuted fellow-creature. Enlarged upon the fact that Mrs. had directed him to come to Aunt Chloe for whatever might be wanting to make up the balance in his solids and fluids, and thus unequivocally acknowledged her right and supremacy in the cooking department, and all thereto pertaining. The thing took accordingly. No poor, simple, virtuous body was ever cajoled by the attentions of an electioneering politician with more ease than Aunt Chloe was won over by Master Sam Suavities, and, if he had been the prodigal son himself, he could not have been overwhelmed with more maternal bountifulness, and he soon found himself seated, happy and glorious, over a large tin pan containing a sort of olla podrida of all that had appeared on the table for two or three days past. Savory morsels of ham golden blocks of corn-cake, fragments of pie of every conceivable mathematical figure, chicken-wings, gizzards, and drumsticks all appeared in picturesque confusion, and Sam, as monarch of all he surveyed, sat with his palm-leaf cocked rejoicingly to one side, and patronizing Andy at his right hand. 
The kitchen was full of all his compeers, who had hurried and crowded in from the various cabins to hear the termination of the day's exploits. Now was Sam's hour of glory. The story of the day was rehearsed, with all kinds of ornament and varnishing which might be necessary to heighten its effect. For Sam, like some of our fashionable dilettanti, never allowed a story to lose any of its gilding by passing through his hands. Roars of laughter attended the narration, and were taken up and prolonged by all the smaller fry, who were lying in any quantity about on the floor, or perched in every corner. In the height of the uproar and laughter, Sam, however, preserved an immovable gravity, only from time to time rolling his eyes up and giving his auditors divers inexpressibly droll glances, without departing from the sententious elevation of his oratory. "'You see, fellow-countrymen,' said Sam, elevating a turkey's leg with energy, "'you see now what dis air child up ter, for fendin' yer all, yes, all on yer, for him as he tries to get one of our people is as good as tryin' to get all. You see, the principle is same. That ar's clar. And any one of these ar drivers that comes smellin' round arter any our people, why, he's got me in his way. I'm the feller he's got to set in with. I'm the feller for you all to come to, Bredon. I'll stand up for your rights. I'll fend em to the last breath. Why, but Sam, you telled me only this morning that you'd help this ar master to catch Lizzie. Seems to me your talk don't hang together, said Andy. I tell you now, Andy, said Sam, with awful superiority. Don't yer be talkin' about what yer don't know nothin' on. Boys like you, Andy, means well, but they can't be spected to hallucinate the great principles of action. Andy looked rebuked, particularly by the hard word hallucinate, which most of the youngerly members of the company seemed to consider as a settler in the case, while Sam proceeded. Dad ar was conscience, Andy. When I thought of Gwine Arter's Lizzie, I rarely expected Masser was sought that way. When I found Missus was sought the contrary, dad I was conscience more yet, cause fellers ours gets more by stickin' to Missus' side. So you see, I's persistent either way, and sticks up to conscience, and holds on to principles. Yes, principles," said Sam, giving an enthusiastic toss of a chicken's neck. What's principles good for if we isn't persistent? I want to know. There, Andy, you may have dad our bone. Tain't picked up clean. Sam's audience hanging on his words with open mouth, he could not but proceed. "'This year matter about persistence, fellow niggers,' said Sam, with the air of one entering into an abstruse subject. "'This year assistance sing what ain't seed into very clear by most people. Now, you see, when a feller stands up for a thing one day and night, the contrary to the next, folks says, and naturally enough they says, why, he ain't persistent. Hand me that are a bit of corn-cake, Andy.' But let's look into it. I hope the gentlemen and their fair sex will excuse my using an ordinary sort of person. Here, I'm a trying to get a topper to hay. Well, I puts up my larder this yer side. Tain't no go. Then, cause I don't try there no more, but puts my larder right the contrary side. Ain't I persistent? I'm persistent and want to get up. Which our side my larder is? Don't you see? All on yer? "'It's the only thing ye ever was persistent in, Lord knows,' muttered Aunt Chloe, who was getting rather restive, the merriment of the evening being to her somewhat after the scripture comparison, like vinegar upon nitre. "'Yes, indeed,' said Sam, rising, full of supper and glory, for a closing effort. "'Yes, my feller-citizens and ladies of the other sex in general, I has principles. I'm proud to own them. 
They's persequent to these to your times, and ter all times. I has principles, and I sticks to em like forty. Just anything that I thinks is principles, I goes into it. I wouldn't mind if they burnt me live. I'd walk right up to the stake, I would, and say, Here I comes to shed my last blood for my principles, for my country, for the general interest of society. Well, said Aunt Chloe, one of your principles will have to be to get to bed some time tonight and not to be keeping everybody up till morning. Now, every one of you young uns that don't want to be cracked, it better be scarce mighty sudden. Niggers, all of yer, said Sam, waving his palm leaf with benignity. I give yer my blessing. Go to bed now, and be good boys. And with this pathetic benediction, the assembly dispersed. End of chapter 8